you know, okay, you go to college, you get married, you get this, you know, you buy the big house, the nice cars, and you'll be happy, you know? And I just didn't find pleasure in those things at all. I, you know, I thought to myself, there's gotta be more. You know, is this it? You know, I, my husband and I, we, we talked about it a lot and we looked at each other, is this it? Is this, this is it, we did it, you know? <laughs> we just, it didn't really bring us the type of satisfaction that we thought we would, we would find. That was Naomi Grevenberg, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 166. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I don't have any magic answers. I can't give you a miraculous 10-day, six-step life hack plan for anything, really. But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm so over that quick fix approach, honestly. And my guess is maybe you are too. Perhaps that's why you're here. So we'll be diving into today's episode in a few minutes. But before that, I have two quick things that I want to share with you. The first is a reminder that this is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, where we talk about things like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health. We talk about grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. My hope is that these conversations will make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, while also challenging you to consider a new perspective from someone whose lived experiences might be different from your own. That's really important. And then the other thing that I want to tell you is that you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions on this podcast because these conversations, they're 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and will always be free. But if you love it, if these conversations do indeed make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. This tangible financial support, that's what allows me to keep making new episodes and it pays everyone involved in making Real Talk Radio. That includes me, my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of my guests. It's been my dream for years to be able to pay all my guests, and our community recently met the funding goal that makes that possible now. So all the guests whose stories you love are indeed getting paid for their time with us, and higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. I know it's not the norm in the podcast industry to pay guests or to have a listener-funded show, but I fully believe that where we spend our money, it's a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, that means it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio. So that's what your financial support contributes to. And as a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series called Notes of Grit and Grace. That's where I share my real life in real time. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for live events and retreats. Also, 5% of each season's profit is donated to a different social justice organization, with past donations going to places like Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution as well. 
Over on our Patreon page, you'll see that there are currently three different funding levels. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together after the release of each new season, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to support the show. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Naomi Grevenberg. Naomi is a full-time camper van dweller, outdoor enthusiast, and environmental advocate. She shares 80 square feet with her partner, Dustin, with whom she runs the startup sustainability consulting business, Cacti and Coconuts. Through her Instagram, Naomi shares her truths of life on the road, becoming what she calls an accidental minimalist, and what it's life like to live plastic-free and zero waste in a van. In this episode, Naomi tells the story of growing up in a small village in Trinidad and why she came to America at the age of 17. She shares what happened next, how she pursued and then became disillusioned with the American dream, and the conversation that ultimately led her and her partner to sell their belongings and move into a camper van together. She talks about what she's learned about herself on the road, why it's been healing for her, as well as her journey toward living a plastic-free and zero-waste lifestyle, complete with tips for us. Naomi is so honest and thoughtful and kind, and I hope that you love this conversation as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Naomi, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. So I know that you're someone who chooses a word for the year and that 2018 was your year of surrender. Can you share what that meant for you? Yeah, um, 2018 was, was hard, hard for me. Um, a lot of realizations, a lot of uh, acceptance of uh, things that just wasn't working for me in my life. Um, and, you know, we took a trip to Southeast Asia to just get away from, from everything, get away from, uh, I guess, uh, living in the van. I was, you know, beginning to feel it really crowded, like I needed space to think. I needed to be in, in a place where I didn't understand the language or the culture, you know. And um, we decided to go to Southeast Asia, and that was where I started just looking at myself in a different way, in a different light, and I guess answering some hard truths and, uh, and letting go, letting go of, um, of the things that were holding me back from becoming the person that I really wanted to be. And, um, and I think I, that's, that's what it meant for me, just letting go of those things and, and allowing myself to be what I needed to be when I needed to be it. Yeah. Can you give some examples of either when you said like facing hard truths or a couple things you wound up letting go of? Yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up in Trinidad in the Caribbean and I had a really tough upbringing. My parents also, they had a really tough upbringing. They, uh, they grew up not far removed from indentured servitude and slavery and there was, um, I guess, a lot of uh, perpetuated um, pain, a collective pain that was just uh, carried on from generation to generation that was not really 
notice. Like my parents didn't know, I didn't know. And, um, you know, it, it, it it was really hard upbringing. So a lot of trauma, a lot of pain that I guess prevented me from growing, prevented me from becoming, you know, a well-rounded whole. I mean, I guess none of us are ever really whole, but from just um, being my best self in a lot of ways. Um, I spent most of my adult life being very angry, not knowing why I was angry. And, um, you know, the things that I wanted to do, I just couldn't accomplish it, you know, Relationships were really hard, and I made a lot of really bad decisions. And yeah, and I guess, you know, it, it was just uh, very difficult to being an adult in this world with, mm-hmm. with all that baggage, if, if you understand what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you know, something had to give. I started suffering from a lot of anxiety and depression, um, especially after my grandmother passed away. And I went into this this dark tunnel, you know, just feeling like I would never get out. And, um, you know, I just, I wasn't happy. There was no joy in my life. And yeah, and I needed to make a change, which kind of led to my life on the road and, uh, you know, facing, facing hard truths about myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get into, you know, a lot of the transition to living on the road and all of that. But one thing that you said, um, in all of that, which was like so beautifully honest, thank you that even, you know, living in the van, like that, that started to feel a little crowded and you needed a break from that. I'm always really grateful when people are willing to say this thing that I chose that is a really great fit for me for lots of reasons doesn't mean that I love it all the time and that I don't need to take a break from it, right? Like I think there's this, yeah. you know, idea that just because something is the best choice for you, that means like you have to be happy with it all the time. It's This might be kind of a strange parallel, but it's sort of how I felt about getting sober and like quitting drinking that, you know, it's this amazing right thing. And I remember at the beginning, I, you know, saw people sharing their stories online, you know, about how everything was so magical on the other side. And like, don't get me wrong. I feel way better. And I'm really grateful for this choice. And also like, sometimes it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of in that boat (laughs) right now with the drinking thing. (laughs) I did a yoga, yoga teacher training recently and, um, we detox and we're in a vineyard right now, um, celebrating our anniversary and I can only have like a small glass of wine at a time. Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't regret my decision to quit drinking. It's just like, sometimes I wish that people were like, yeah, even the best decision for you, like sometimes it's not fun, you know? No, no. And yeah. And living in the van is great, you know, but, um, but it's hard. It's really, really hard. And, and yeah, going through these, uh, personal transformations, it's, it's really difficult sharing 80 square feet with another person and having to go through these changes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So, I mean, it sounds like you have grown and changed a lot, like since being on the road and like you just said, sharing a relatively small space with another person, how are you guys able to get alone time, like get separate time? Uh, we just flat out ask each other for the space, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, th- I think honesty is, is really, really important in, in, you know, such a small space. We just, you know, when I need it, I ask for it. It's right now I just, I need some space. 
and he'll go for a walk or, um, you know, go do something. And yeah, or I'll go for a walk or go on a hike or maybe go camp for one night somewhere and just have my alone time. Mm-hmm. We're, we're really honest about that because it's, it's really important. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I like about whether it's like sharing a confined space or for me with long distance backpacking or even travel more generally, if you're doing that with somebody else, it's almost like forced, honest communication. Like you had like things that could maybe be like swept under the rug a little bit in, you know, more traditional day-to-day life you really have to deal with. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. So going back to the word of the year for a little bit, your intention for 2019 is for it to be your year of investment and calm, which I'm so curious about. What does that look like? (laughs) Well, oh, well, the first thing is um, my yoga teacher training that I did um, that started December 29th. So Dustin and I were separated for 26 days, which is the longest we've ever been apart. So for me, that's investing in the things that that allows me to grow, investing in the things that I want to do, like starting a business, like we're on the verge of starting a sustainability consulting business and we're investing our time and our energy. And it's been so wonderful and just to feel so inspired about pursuing the things that just makes us come alive. Like my yoga teacher training, it was so incredible. 14 of us in this group at this beautiful retreat down here in Baja and just delving into our practice and meditation and yoga. It it was magnificent. So yeah, so that's what what it means to me, like investing my time, my energy and my money in the things that that bring me joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where does the idea of calmness come in? (sighs) Just, I guess, uh, feeling a sense of peace, I suppose, um, stepping away from the, from the chaos and finding, um, and finding that, that place of where I feel grounded, I suppose. And a lot of that comes from my practice. Um, when I feel overwhelmed and when there's a lot of chaos going on, I just step onto my mat and, and that's where I find calm. For most of my life, I, I guess I had like a lot of chaos inside me. I just couldn't, you know, didn't find or couldn't find peace, peace of mind, peace in my heart. And, um, and it's something that I, I was seeking for the last three years on the road. Like, where is this peace? Where can I find this, this calm, this clarity? And, um, and yeah, I've created the space for that in my life and, I find it on my mat mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, I like this idea of, you know, the calm space being one that you have to carve out and create for yourself, right? That it's not necessarily just going to show up or be given to you. This idea, and it kind of ties into what you were saying about investment. It's like making the choice in where you're putting your energy, like toward the way that you want to feel. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. Like it's not going to magically appear. You have to do the work. Mm-hmm. And, you have to, yeah, chisel, chisel away a little bit at a time, which is what I feel I've been doing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, these last few years on the road, just, you know, a little bit at a time, I just chisel it away and, and there it is, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So going back a little bit, um, you mentioned that you grew up in Trinidad. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. What was your childhood like? Ah, uh, well, I grew up in a little village on the southeastern coast of the island in a rainforest, um, population maybe 40, 50 people, 
it was pretty much in the bush. So, I mean, it was gorgeous, a gorgeous, uh, gorgeous rainforest. And yeah, I, my family life wasn't the best. We were very poor. And um, yeah, my parents, they, they were good people, but they were, were not very good for each other. So um, I had a very uh, hard upbringing in that way. Uh, my father was non-existent, you know, absent. So my mom was mom and dad. So it was very stressful for her, but, you know, she did her best with us. Yeah. And, you know, my life there, I don't know how to say this, but yeah, it, it was hard. It was hard for a young girl like me. It was hard. You know, there were no opportunities for me. So, um, yeah, at 16 years old, I kind of made this plan that, you know, when I graduated high school, I was going to like get a visa and go to America and pursue the American dream and, you know, have a better life for myself. So, so I worked really hard to make that happen. Um, yeah, my last year of high school, I saved like every dollar I had to, uh, to buy a visa application to come to America. And I was very, you know, strong minded and determined to do it. And when it, when I did it, it was just unbelievable. Like that's when I knew that I can do anything and I could um, pursue any dream I had as long as I give it my all. And, um, and that's what I did. And that's how I ended up here. So how, how old were you when you got here? I was 17 years old when I came to America. And did you come by yourself? What was that like? Yeah, I did. I came by myself. It was um, scary. Because I was a very sheltered child in Trinidad. I, my, my mom was very protective for all good reasons. But, you know, a little, you know, she she went a little overboard. Like, I wasn't really allowed to have friends. And, you know, she just instilled a lot of things that were not true that I see now that wasn't true. So I had to kind of recondition myself as an adult, which was very hard. And so it was um, culture shock coming to America you know, come, you know, I flew into Miami airport and I was just like, Oh my God, this is, this is wild. But I was so inspired and, um, and determined. A few people helped me along the way, some distant relatives. I was able to sleep on their couches. I was a nomad ever since I was 17 years old. So, so this lifestyle is nothing new to me. Yeah. I'm really interested in those like first couple months or the first year, right? Like you said, you got off the plane, you're in Miami, there's culture shock, you're alone, you have some distant relatives, and obviously that's a big transition. What did you do next? Like what were the kind of steps that you took over the first few months or years? Well, the first few months I, um, you know, I kind of got my bearings. It was like, okay, you know, I, I made it here. Take a deep breath you know, hanging out with some distant relatives on their couch. Then I decided, okay, I need to make some money because I had no money. You know, my parents were really poor. So I came to America with not one dollar in my wallet. And um, so I kind of spoke to some friends and I started uh, asking around for, for work and I became a nanny. So I did that for a while. Um, then I, you know, started to think about, okay, I want to you know, get a green card so I can stay here. So I started um, figuring that out, um, talking to people about um, becoming a natural, uh, becoming a permanent resident. So that was kind of the next steps for me, becoming a permanent resident, because I wanted to go to college. 
I'm actually the first in my family to go to college. So that was um, pretty amazing accomplishment. So yeah, so that was pretty much the steps that I took. Like, okay, how do I become a permanent resident? And then how do I go to college? So those were the two big goals that I had in mind. But um, I stayed with some relatives for like maybe six months and then I moved to New Jersey and I stayed with some distant cousins for a while. And that's kind of where it all began for me. Yeah. What did your mom think when you came here? Well, my mom, I think she was relieved a little bit. Um, she was going through a really tough time. Like her and my dad, they actually were getting a divorce when I left Trinidad, which is part of the reason I left. It was a pretty nasty divorce. And um, and my mom kind of moved back in with her mom. And, she, you know, I had a little brother and sister that she had to take care of as well. And my father, he disappeared. Um, so I think she was relieved that I was figuring out my own path, which was pretty shocking because she was very protective for most of my life as a child growing up in Trinidad. So I was really surprised that she just let me go. Yeah, I'm interested to hear more sort of emotionally at that time, because it's really clear that you were driven and you had, like you said, like clear goals, you know, I'm going to become a permanent resident, I want to go to college, right? Like these kind of things were really clear. Did it feel like a lot of pressure to you? Like emotionally, what was it like then? Emotionally, I was very stressed out. I was, um, I was not in a good place. <laughs> I was uh, really sad. I was, you know, my parents were going through a divorce. We were really poor. And the next step for me would be to get married off to some guy, you know, and my life would be over. Because at the time, you know, that's what was happening all around me to all of my friends in school, in high school. They were getting married off after high school, you know, to older guys and their life was over. They ended up, you know, not pursuing any of their dreams or having independence. So that scared the crap out of me, Mm -hmm. you know, because I heard it around me a lot. It's time for you to find a husband. And um, every time I heard that, I would cringe inside. I would just feel like a little piece of me died. And so, you know, more than anything else, I think I was very determined, but I was also very scared for my future. I knew that I deserved more than that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your relationship to the idea of the American dream, because that's a phrase you used before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, back then, you know, I, uh, the American dream for me was, uh, I guess having the freedom to, to go to college, you know, to pursue a better life. For, for myself, to help my family in my country. I had a little sister. I wanted better, you know, a better life for her, more opportunities. I suppose that's what I thought of the American dream, to, to have better opportunities, a better life for myself, to not live in poverty and, um, and live in oppression. Mm-hmm. So that's what it was like for me then. So you went to college and then what? Yeah, I went to college. 
finally, <laughs> I went to college as an adult. Um, I was about 25 years old by the time I was able to get my permanent residence and, um, and yeah, and go to college. After college, I graduated and I started working. Um, I was a biologist for a few years and then I worked as an environmental scientist and, and I loved my work, but I just, never felt like I was making a difference in the way that I wanted to. I kind of felt like I was a cog in a machine and able to, to, yeah, to make a difference um, the way that I imagined. It just wasn't what I thought it would be. And I felt very dissatisfied going to work every day. I felt sometimes I would feel really sick, have a lot of anxiety around, around it. And yeah, I, realized that something needed to change, but I, I don't necessarily think it was the actual job, but in a way, you know, it had a lot to do with me as a person, like what, what I wanted for myself, as well as um, the bureaucracy of, uh, you know, of the work, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's... Yeah. So when you say that it wasn't what you imagined, what did you imagine that it was going to be like? What were you seeking that you ultimately didn't find? Well, what, satisfaction, I think. Um, you know, okay, you go to college, you get married, you get this, you know, you buy the big house, the nice cars, and you'll be happy, you know? And I just didn't find pleasure in those things at all. I, you know, I thought to myself, there's got to be more. You know, is this it? You know, I, my husband and I, we, we talked about it a lot, and we looked at each other, is this it? Is this, this is it, we did it, you know? <laughs> we just, it didn't really bring us the type of satisfaction that we thought we would, we would find. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what was the, tell me about the first conversation you had about, hey, maybe we're gonna move into a van. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, so that, that conversation was really funny because, um, and it, it started with Dustin finding me on the couch in a fetal position mid-panic attack after a day of work. Um, and that was the day when we realized we needed to start reevaluating things. So he went to work the next day and um, I stayed home and he messaged me and he said, listen, um, I want to talk to you when, when I get home. And I said, you know what, I want to talk to you too. And he walked in and I was in the kitchen making dinner and he said, you remember that first conversation we had when we met about traveling the country in a van? And I said, yeah. He said, do you still want to do that? And I said, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. Yes, I still want to do it. Oh, that's so it was, amazing. Yeah, it was, we were both thinking the same thing because when we, the day we first met, we met at an LSU football tailgate. We talked about it. Wouldn't it be cool to like, you know, travel the country and see America, you know? And, um, and yeah, we were both thinking the same thing, how, how great it would be for us to actually pursue that dream. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we get some from work. You guys are in the kitchen, you're making dinner, you have this conversation, you realize that you're both thinking about this same thing that you had talked about. And then I'm always interested in sort of like the practical logistical timeline after that. So what happened next towards this? Okay. So, okay. We're, we're pretty crazy. We, we're the kind of people that if we're, we say we're going to do something, we just jump right in. So we pretty much gave ourselves two to three months to make it happen. 
so yeah, we went to bed that night. We woke up the next morning. We looked at each other and we said, uh, so we're really doing this, you know? And we said, yeah, let's do it. Three months. So we kind of made a plan of uh, how we were going to do it. We're going to start downsizing and um, getting rid of things that we don't need, selling stuff, um, yeah, figuring out um, the finances and what van we wanted. So we just kind of made a plan that way and we started just working the plan. Um, when we told friends and family members, they were all pretty shocked, I suppose. So we lost a lot of friends over it, but you know, I guess that was just part of the downsizing. Um, that's it was, it that's was, interesting. Wait, I want to dig into that for a second. I've never heard of like losing friends in like under the downsizing category, but I see what you're saying. And that makes a lot of sense. Was it that they weren't supportive or couldn't relate to you? Or what, what do you attribute that to losing friends? Um, I think it was a combination of all of those things. I think that a lot of them just didn't really know how to, how to look at it, you know, how to understand what we were doing and why we were doing it. They couldn't understand why we weren't satisfied with the life that we had. You know, we were living in a great city. We had good jobs, a beautiful apartment. But they, so they couldn't understand, I think, why it wasn't enough for us. So, um, yeah, we, we just got a lot of radio silence and heard a lot of rumors through the grapevine of their opinions of what we were doing. Yeah, so, so I think it was a combination of all of those things why, why we lost some friends. Yeah, that must you have know. been hurtful. Yeah, it was really hard. It was hard. But, um, you know, such is life. Life is messy. It's chaotic. You know, and it's, I guess it was really hard for some people to understand why, why we weren't satisfied. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really relatable that, I mean, I think about like, again, like quitting drinking, the friends that I lost, you know, for similar reasons to, I think what you just described, but I think this is a really universal thing, what you're speaking to, that when we make a, cha a big change or a transition, that there are going to be people that are no longer the right fit and it can be hurtful. And also at the end of the day, it can be fine. Yeah. Yeah, we're fine. You know, the people that we've met along this journey are you know, absolutely incredible. You know, we have such amazing friends and amazing community that every day we're so unbelievably grateful for, you know, it, it's magical. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said about when you're moving more into alignment with what you value and what you want, people who are the right fit for that, even if it takes time, I don't think it necessarily happens overnight, but that you wind up building relationships with people who share those values. Absolutely. And, and that, that's how it's been. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you gave yourself two to three months. That's a pretty short timeline, right? Let's sell all our stuff and find this yeah. van and figure it out. Um, how far into that two to three weeks did you guys, or two to three months, did you guys quit your jobs? We quit our jobs right when we got the van. So when, when yeah, when we purchased the van, which was like, um, I guess a couple of weeks before we, we got on the road. Yeah. We both um, decided, okay, it's time for us to put in our, our notice. And the funny thing about that is when Dustin put in his notice, his boss offered him a remote position. So we were absolutely flawed at that point because we were wondering like, okay, we have this amount saved and that'll probably get us through to this, you know, this far into the journey. So we'll have to figure out something at that point. But um, yeah, it, it really worked out. Everything just started aligning and falling into place. And we were so grateful that he offered him a remote position. So he was able to work part-time on the road. 
Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Especially if that's something that you weren't expecting. So you mentioned that you had savings. I feel like, you know, conversations around big life transitions or van life, this kind of stuff. One of the things that people don't talk about that much is either like money or practical realities. Will you share how, if you remember how much you guys had saved and how long you were hoping that was going to last? Well, okay. So I am a big saver and I think it has a lot to do with like growing up really poor. So I save a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. And Dustin is always like, okay, you saved it. Now it's time to spend it, you know? But, um, yeah, so I had some money saved up and we sold, um, a lot of our possessions. So we had like maybe three yard sales and sold a bunch of stuff on Craigslist. So we were able to, I guess, maybe we had about like $10,000 in cash saved up. So from uh, selling all our stuff. So we, yeah, so we had that amount and we just didn't know. We were unable to really calculate like, okay, how much are we going to drive and how much gas are we going to use? And what about food? But we felt really comfortable having that amount. Yeah. To give you kind of like a buffer. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a buffer to figure out, um, remote work and, um, and other things as we go along. So that was, um, that was kind of a nice little buffer we had. Yeah, definitely. What, remembering back to the time, you know, that you were making this transition and you bought the van and did, was there anything in particular that you were really scared of or kind of nervous about thinking about it? I think, um, finances, you know, I think that I was, Dustin wasn't really nervous about that. Um, I was because, um, like I said, I grew up really poor. So I'm always having anxiety around having enough money or enough food. So, um, which is something that fortunately I've, I was able to overcome that anxiety, um, in the first year, just learning to let go and learning to have faith that things are going to work out. So, yeah. So I think for me that that was my big uncertainty. What, yeah. you, what would you say that his was? If he wasn't as fearful about money, what was his concern? Being able to maintain the van, I think, <laughs> because he's the um, he's the mechanic in this family. I'm just not interested in really learning the mechanics of, of the van. It's not, you know, and I'm okay with that. So I think for him, it was, you know, this new vehicle, you know, he's, he's a pretty handy person. He built his first vehicle, but... Um, but I think um, it being our home and our daily driver was really stressful for him. So before we left, you know, he did a lot of work on it. He we took it to his um, brother-in-law's house and they're all really good mechanics and they fine tuned it and made sure everything was working well. But it, I still felt like Dustin had a lot of anxiety around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's one of the things that I'm concerned about, about moving into a van. I also don't really have those skills and by don't really, I mean, don't have them at all. And so thinking <laughs> about, Hey, you're in the middle of nowhere and this thing breaks down or something happened, right? That like you said, it's yeah. your house, it's your transportation. It's, you know, there's a lot of eggs in one basket. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. So after you guys bought the van, did you have to do a lot of work to it or build it out or how did that work? I know we have a Volkswagen Westie. So it's, you know, those vans are just, it's the perfect camper van, you know, from my perspective, you know, it comes ready to go. And the person we bought it from, um, he lived in it for six months, uh, traveling the Pacific Northwest and it was in his family for a really long time. So they took really good care of this vehicle. And so it came ready to go. It had a fridge, a solar panel, um, 
the mechanics of it was in pretty good condition. So yeah, it, you know, it was just a matter of like, um, you know, making it home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you had three yard sales, right? Like sold and gave away yeah. a lot of stuff. I've heard you refer to yourself as an accidental minimalist. Can you talk about what you mean by that? Sure. Yeah. We, we laugh about that, but we are accidental minimalists. Like we never really thought of like becoming a minimalist, but I mean, in this lifestyle, it just, it's automatic. You're going to be a minimalist, whether you want to or not, because if you want to be happy and comfortable in your van, you're going to have to let some shit go. And when we first got on the road, we had way too much stuff, just like pots and pans. I love to cook. So I had like all the pots and pans, like my huge cast iron Dutch oven and all this other stuff and so much clothes only to realize I wear the same things over and over again because, I mean, we live outdoors. We're always dirty. So, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we had just ended up at the nearest Goodwill store and we would just give it away to people we would find along the way only to realize that, hey, we don't need that much. We don't need a lot at all. We have a handful of clothes. I have a couple cast iron pans that I use for cooking. I wear the same things over and over. And um, and we're really happy with that. You know, our life is so simple. And it's just allowed us to make room for ourselves and for, you know, the things that we're passionate about. Like, we love the outdoors. That's where we spend most of our time. And we don't need that much out in nature. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. When I went on my first long distance backpacking trip, cause I, I mean, I grew up in big cities. I was never, you know, an outdoor naturey active kid at all. So I came to this as an adult very much so. And I remember when I went on my first like long backpacking trip, just, it was like, so this is going to sound silly maybe, but it was like, I was in awe of the fact that I could carry literally everything that I needed, that I'm like, I mm-hmm. actually don't need more than this. I mean, sure. There are some things that I would like to have to be more comfortable, right? It's not like the most comfortable yeah. lifestyle, but that was, and it's it maybe even sounds cliche to say it, but it was like very much an eye-opening thing for me of, okay, like I can survive for like literally months at a time with just these things. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I can, I can say the same for us um, spending six months traveling through Southeast Asia, just we had, you know, one backpack each and everything we needed was in that. And yeah, there were days where I felt like I was a cartoon character just wearing the same thing over and over again. But um, when we came back from Southeast Asia, we downsized even more. So our van is so spacious now. We have just the bare minimum and it feels so good. We feel so light, so free. And it's just a realization of like, um, you know, we don't need that much to be happy. Yeah. So will you share a couple of the things that you kept um, in the most recent downsizing in the van? Like what absolutely is worth it for you that you love? What's absolutely worth it for me? Great question. I would have to say, and it's not, this is going to, this is funny because people laugh at it all the time, but my Nutribullet, I love that thing. So I love to make smoothies. I love to like, I grind my coffee. It's like the perfect, uh, perfect texture of ground coffee it makes for us. My uh, singing bowl, I love that. Um, I kept it. I made room for it. Uh, My cast iron pan, I kept that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, yeah. 
those are the things that I absolutely must have, I think. Yeah, my Nutribullet, my cast iron pan, and my singing bowl. I kept those. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, I'm so glad I asked you this question because, like, your answer is obviously so specific to you, right? Like, I'm sure I could ask Dustin, or I could ask someone else, or you know what I mean? Like, thinking about for myself what I'm going to wind up having in my van, that it is, it really is worth that self inquiry of what do I actually want and need, right? And that it will yeah. probably be different than what somebody else really values. And it's no surprise that you feel happier having the things that are, that you've thought about that are important to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's what it's all about. Like, um, what, what you value, what brings you joy. And, and that's, to me, that's what it means to be a minimalist. It's not about like how much, you know, per se, it's about what you value. Yeah. Yeah. So how long ago was it that you first got, took off in the van? It's been three years. Okay. Okay. It's been a while. Okay. So take me to that first day you get in the van, like it's day one. (laughs) Where, where'd you go? Oh, we went uh, to a state park in Arkansas and, oh gosh, I remember that day we drove up, it was storming. So it really wasn't the ideal weather for us on, on our first day. Um, yeah, we pulled into the campsite. And uh, we sat in the van and we just looked at each other like, what the fuck are we doing? (laughs) Oh my God. That's amazing. That moment of like, oh shit, we did this. Like, this is real. Yeah. Yeah, And then, um, yeah. And then I remember saying, "Um, so what do we do now? And I remember Dustin saying, we drink wine. (laughs) So he opened up a bottle of wine and we just just drank and just sat and listened to the rain. And I remember just feeling so excited for everything ahead, but also like, you know, the uncertainty was just there, you know, the elephant in the room kind of, but, uh, but yeah, I remember that night, like it was just yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear about the first couple of weeks, you know, for you guys, you mentioned that, um, Dustin wound up being able to, you know, work part-time at his existing job. Um, but it sounds like maybe that wasn't the case for you. Like what was actual day-to-day life like for the first couple of weeks? It was really hard. It was very hard for me. Um, we were going through just so many different changes. Um, Dustin balancing his time, like, you know, you have these ideas of how it's going to be, but it just never turns out to be that way. You know, we thought, oh, it's going to be like us skipping through flowers and backpacking and, you know, doing all the things we love. But no, it really wasn't. The van broke down so often. It was just so finicky in the beginning. So we spent a lot of time just fine tuning that um, and breaking down in random places. Um, Dustin trying to like figure out um, balancing work and and getting Wi-Fi for that and I was really nervous about money. So just spending money was really hard for me. So we fought about that a lot. And just being able to do the things that we love. And me, just I didn't have a sense of like purpose on the road in the beginning because I was still trying to rewire what is meaningful for me or my self-worth when it came to my identity with my job. So, yeah, so I was struggling with that a lot. There was a lot of uncertainty around it. And then, um, you know, just dealing with the dogma from, you know, individuals telling us that we were making a mistake, that we were ruining our lives. What about retirement? What about your careers? What about, you know, so there was just a lot of fears 
you know, being um, forced upon us. So we were dealing with that as well. So, yeah, it was it was hard. The first the first few weeks, the first few months was really, really hard. Yeah. And, yeah. and just just uh, like learning to just adjusting to a small space, dealing with all of that was very stressful. So we fought a lot. <laughs> Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because you're going through the like tough challenges of like day to day, like where are we going to park? What happens when this breaks down? Where am I going to poop? Like all the things. And then also, yeah. like you said, kind of huge identity things. I'm glad you brought up the, you know, struggling with, um, I know you didn't say it exactly this way, but like, who am I without this job? Right. I think there's like exactly. something that I think about this a lot about like the way that we, you know, kind of in capitalist society, like equate productivity or busyness with worthiness. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. if you're not doing that, then what? Right. And I think it's like, that's a hard, that's a hard thing. I'm interested to hear like what that was like for you as you kind of sat with that. And, you know, over these last three years. Yeah, that was really hard. It's, it's only until like, up until like a year and a half, a year and a half ago that I started feeling, you know, comfortable with where my life was going. Um, the first year and a half was really hard not being able to identify with my career or, or my job. Um, so yeah, I struggled a lot with that. Um, you know, finding meaning in my life, I suppose, not, not being busy and giving myself permission to just, you know, be, yeah, it, it was just really hard to, um, to just sit and say, okay, I'm just gonna, um, read this book today and I'm just gonna, um, go for a walk in nature. Yeah. It was hard to just see the beauty all around me because I was struggling with that identity. Um, and coming through that was really tough, that transformation, I think, I think for the most part, I, uh, I just started like delving into like photography and my writing and finding my voice and sharing my truths. And that helped me work through that sort of identity crisis a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think about this a lot too, in the way that I think that there's a myth around the idea that if you love the work that you do, that all of everything that you just said is solved. And that has not been my experience. I very much love what I do and I'm super grateful for it. And, you know, I'm choosing to do it. And still that like, you know, productivity, anxiety, busyness as worthiness, like all of that stuff still comes up. Right. And so it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I think it's easy to say like, well, as long as if you find something that you love, then like none of this stuff will be an issue. And I don't think that that's the case. No, I don't think that that's the case. Right now I'm doing something that I love. Um, I feel inspired every day. I mean, but at the same time, I also have found a lot of joy in doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, it's, that's honestly a struggle for me. It's something that I've been thinking about for the last couple of years and like trying to work on like the giving myself permission to do nothing. Like you said, today, I'm just going to read this book or I'm just going to go on this walk. Like, you know, I have to catch myself when I say things like, oh, I didn't get anything done today or I didn't get enough done or I didn't, you know, I wasn't productive or those types of things. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm no, at least I'm noticing it now. Like when that comes up, I'm like, oh, today feels like a waste because I didn't produce anything. And there's something in that that I don't love. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, uh, that's huge. I've, you know, discovered that when I do nothing, I feel like I'm the most productive after hmm. <laughs> in a weird way. I think, um, I find a lot of clarity now, like 
when I do nothing and I'm able to go back to my work, I, I feel like I'm, you know, everything just fires up and I'm able to accomplish, you know, what I set out to do even, even better. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in your traveling style. So you mentioned, okay, we went to the state park the first night how, over the last three years. How much have you like been on the road, kind of like going a new place, you know, every, however long versus like, oh, Hey, we like this city. We're going to stay here. Like, what does that look like for you? Well, in the beginning we, um, yeah, we struggled to see and do it all. We were like, yeah, we got to see this and we got to see that. But, um, you know, lately we've been practicing slow travel. So we spend a lot of time in the places that we visit. Um, granted, if, if we don't enjoy a place or, you know, the weather isn't, you know, good for us, we, we leave, you know, which is why we, we live a life of travel. But we, you know, we tend to travel slower, spend more time in places and that's really good for our footprint as well and and our bank account, of course, with gas. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's our style of travel these days. Where do you usually park when you're doing slow travel if you're staying in a place for a while? It depends. Um, you know, maybe a state park or a national park or but we spend most of our time um, in like public lands, national forests or BLM. Yeah, places like that. What, and this is a really specific question, but what resources have been helpful for you in figuring out good and or free places to park? Hmm. Well, I think we, there are a few apps that we use, but it's more like, uh, we look at Google maps and we say, Hey, okay, there's a green area right there. Um, or places that we've always imagined visiting, like say, okay, we go up to the Sierras or something. We usually just, you know, head there and then experiment with the places that we visit. Okay, you know, this place is beautiful. We'll just stop here. So um, for the most part, I think we just experiment. We just go places and see what it's like. There's no like actual platform that we use. Really? Okay. You know, what if, just take a good road, I suppose. What about, um, you know, because you mentioned, uh, you know, for Dustin at the beginning, you know, having to find Wi-Fi and balancing that. And I know obviously for you too, what does that look like in kind of your regular life these days? We have a Verizon. So, and we have like unlimited data. So uh, we usually hotspot, you know, just a personal hotspot for our work and it depends on where we are. We also have like a Wi-Fi boost, uh, a cell phone booster on our van. So that's help. So our, our van is essentially our office. Okay. Um, yeah. I was going to ask, so what are you, are you in the van right now? No, no, we are, I, we actually have a little, um, villa that we, uh, rented for our anniversary. Um, we're in Baja. So yeah, we're, um, so yeah, right now we're splurging on a, on a little villa to celebrate. I love that. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask like your connection's really good. What's your Wi-Fi situation right now? <laughs> yeah. 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 Fortunately, yeah, we, we, uh, we have good, good Wi-Fi right now. Yeah. We tend to do that when we travel abroad, when we need uh, service, we've done that a lot since we've been in Baja because um, our cell phone hotspot is not that great. We just have like a half a gigabyte when we travel. So um, we've just been uh, splurging on Airbnbs with good Wi-Fi mm-hmm. for yeah. that. Yeah. So I have to ask about the time that a blizzard blew the top off your van. Tell me this story. Well, we did have a really, uh, our first winter in the van, our van exploded. 
our engine. Okay, maybe that's our, what I was seeing. Okay, yeah, tell me yeah. about that. Okay, so yeah, our first winter we decided to uh, stay in Oregon and we were going to go skiing and snowboarding and, you know, just enjoy winter for the first time in the van. And that was a terrible idea. Our van just really hates winter. So we were, it was Christmas morning. We were in Bend, Oregon with some friends going cross-country skiing and the van, I don't know what happened. It just like the thermometer wasn't working or, or something like that. And, um, yeah, it exploded and blew a head gasket. And we were in the middle of nowhere, went to Wonderland with like no service because our phones kept freezing and crashing and everything, all our food, all our water, everything in the van was frozen. So yeah, we spent the entire day on Christmas day, um, trying to beg someone to give us a tow. And the next couple of weeks, we spent trying to fix our van ourselves because no one would do it because of the time of year. Yeah, we were in a blizzard. Um, a friend allowed us to park under their carport, which we wrapped in painter's cloth and plastic in order to you know, create a little work, workspace for us. And they gave us unlimited firewood and a fire pit. So Dustin was working on the van while I was chopping wood to keep us warm. It was hell. Yeah. That sounds like quite the adventure. (laughs) Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. All right. But, but we pulled through it, it required us like being united at first, we were getting on each other's nerves and we were like arguing about it. But then we were like, okay, if we're going to get through this, we have to, we have to be a team, you know, make a plan. And, you know, we thought our van life was over because it was a huge job that no one wanted to take on because of the time of year and, yeah, and we needed to get out of winter, so we, uh, we we worked together for two weeks in a blizzard, built the built the engine, put the, the new head gasket on, and after we fixed it, we drove all the way down to Baja. <laughs> you were like, we're never having snow again. Goodbye. <laughs> never. Never happened again. <laughs> uh, so we <laughs> that's funny. I, I'm in Bend, Oregon right now, and yes, we have quite a bit of snow, and it is freezing, so no, I don't want to be outside doing anything on the van. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. So you mentioned when that happened, you know, uh, trying to get people to tow you, that type of stuff. How has the kindness of strangers come into play for you since you've moved into the van? Oh, man. People are awesome on the road. Uh, you know, and it's it's a huge realization because, you know, we're taught to fear people like I was. Like growing up, my parents would tell me, you know, don't talk to strangers and you know, you don't need friends. Like one of the things I remember hearing a lot that friends will carry you and they won't bring you back. And, and that's not true. That's not true at all. Um, it's quite the opposite. Like being on the road, people stop to help us all the time. And on this particular occasion where, um, on Christmas day, when our van exploded, the people we were with, they, stuck it out with us the entire time. They could have said, okay, well, good luck. We'll see you later. But they stuck it out with us. Um, They had to be back home that day for work the following day. And they stayed with us the entire time. They didn't get home till the following morning where they had to get dressed to go to work that morning. But anyway, um, we were able to get on the phone and like convince someone that, you know, this is our home. Please give us a tow. And this person did. They came out, left their families on Christmas Day to come out and give us a tow, brought our van to where we needed it to go at that particular moment. But then we needed to get it up to a mountaintop where we were actually um, staying. 
And um, yeah, I got on the phone with AAA and they said, like, we can't do it. No one wants to drive up this mountain in the snow. And I told the woman, I said, listen, this is my home. Please, you have the power to make this happen. And I'm asking you to please help us. She said, okay, hold on. And then she came back on the phone. She said, a tow truck will be there to bring your home to you. Mm. And I was in tears. And then we needed a place to fix the van. We were actually house sitting for a friend at that time. And her neighbor told us, listen, you know, we couldn't find a place to fix it. She said, you can fix it under my carport. And she came out, she brought all this paint. She was a painter. She brought all this painter's cloth, helped us wrap the building, gave us this huge fire pit with all unlimited firewood. She would bring cheese and crackers to us every day and hot tea while we were working on this van. She was just so wonderful. The people that we've met along the way on the road has been, it's, it's just, it just warms my heart. People, people are always willing to help. People stop at the side of the road to help us all the time. Yeah. One of the things that I'm personally really interested in is how to cultivate a feeling of home, even as you, you know, travel to new places, whether that's domestically or abroad. Can you share a few of your favorite nomadic routine routines or what helps you with that? Yeah, I think, um, hmm, nomadic routines, I think, um, Getting on my mat every day really helps me with that. It helps me to feel grounded. It's one of the best ways for me to start my day. I feel like um, like it it just sets the pace for how my day is going to go. So that's really helped. Meditation also has helped me a lot. Yeah, I think those two for me. Yeah, and it makes sense because those are both things that you can do anywhere. Yeah, I can do it anywhere. I, I all I need is, is a mat. Sometimes I just, you know, do yoga on, on the ground, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I don't need a mat, you know? So yeah, that's, that's helped me a lot to, to stay grounded and, and it helps with my focus. Yeah. How do you feel like you've changed since you began traveling? What's something that you've learned about yourself? I learned that I can do anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> anything I want to put my mind to, I can do it. Um, yeah, living on the road, living in this uh, this lifestyle has been truly empowering. I I don't know. I just feel very content with with my path, my life's trajectory. Something that I didn't feel before. I felt um, there was just a lot of chaos in my life, and I couldn't find clarity in anything that I was doing. Now I feel I feel very sure. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know where my life is going, where, where I'm going to end up, but I feel really good with, with the place, you know, with where I am right now. I'm very content and, and I feel very at peace. It sounds like you've opened up a lot of space in your life, like whether that was, you know, getting rid of physical things, right. Or giving yourself a break, you know, in some of these identity cages. Have you found that there's been any new passions or interests or talents that have, you know, popped up from giving yourself some space? Yeah, yeah, of course. I recently have been delving into a lot of music from my country. So um, that's been a passion of mine. I feel like I'm rediscovering 
myself through music from Trinidad, which has been really incredible. It's like I'm hearing it for the first time. So that's been really good for me. And um, I've been into sound healing a lot. Um, so my singing bowl has been a passion of mine. I just love the vibrations of it. And, and yeah, yoga, I've been getting on my mat every single day and it feels so good. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah, just the movement, just my body feels really good. Yeah, <laughs> I think those. And obviously you spend a lot of time in the outdoors. How has doing that and living in the outdoors really helped to shape your life? I've always been a fan of the outdoors. Um, it's, you know, as a child, I, I grew up in a jungle, so... Um, I spent a lot of time in nature. Yeah, just uh, whether it's like just running around barefoot with my brothers in the in the forest or just like sitting next to a waterfall. Nature has always been a refuge for me. And um, it's helped me a lot on the road. It's where I went to ask myself the hard questions. You know, I felt I've, I've, I just feel a lot of comfort being outside you know, in nature. And um, yeah, it's helped us a lot. Just sitting in silence, you know, just learning from nature. I mean, it just is, you know, and Mm -hmm. I've learned, I've learned the isness of, you know, existing from nature. And it's, it's just been so wonderful for me. So healing. Have you gone back to Trinidad since you left? Yes. So it was 10 years before I went back to Trinidad after I first came to America. So I hadn't seen my family for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. My brothers and sisters were grown up by the time I went, went back to Trinidad, but I always stayed connected with them. So yeah. So it was, it was interesting um, going back. And then after that, I would visit maybe once a year or once every other year, but it's been two years since I, I went back since I was last there. Yeah. So, I mean, 10 years, that's a really long time. And obviously like you, you know, spoke about before coming here and having that huge culture shock and, you know, going on like quite a developmental journey of your own. What did it feel like to go home that first time? It was weird. Um, yeah, very strange. I, I think it was strange mostly because, um, when I came to America, I rejected my heritage. I rejected where I came from. And when I went back to Trinidad, I was very angry. I went back not because I wanted to go back. It was because I felt obligated to. And I was struggling a lot with um, my upbringing and, you know, just a, a lot of, there was just a lot of resentment. So it was really weird. I was yeah, I didn't really know my family anymore, so I had to relearn them. We were very different because uh, 10 years in America, you know, it's where I became an adult. So I was a different person with different beliefs. So, yeah, it was it was very, very hard to communicate with my family and to find um, a connection. So, yeah, that was that was very difficult. I mean, we loved each other. We knew each other, but we were just not the same anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, so obviously it sounds like you've continued to go back. Do you feel like that is also like an obligatory thing or has that changed for you where you're going back because you want to? Um, it continued for a while, but it's not the same anymore. Like I, I think it 
the struggle was not with with them. It was with me, just um, being able to have compassion for myself and, you know, say and give myself a break. I think I spent a lot of time as an adult just being really hard on myself. And um, yeah, and uh, over the last three years, uh, traveling on the road, I think I've been able to make peace with a lot of things and, you know, develop a sense of self-worth and self-love. And I, I feel like that's that's helped me a lot. So, yeah, I've, I'm able to to build a relationship with my family based on, you know, mutual respect mm-hmm. and um, yeah. And and getting to to know them again, you know, it was yeah really strange to not know your family. But yeah, we I'm very close with my siblings now and I'm. I've reconnected with my parents on a on a higher level and it's it's been wonderful. Yeah, it's I mean obviously everything that you've shared so far has been so honest and I love that you're not shying away from talking about like the contradictions or the messiness, right? Like I I can't imagine, yeah, it would feel very strange to be like, oh, this is my family, so I should have this connection, but I don't. Okay, it's going to take time. I'm going to rebuild it, right? And like just what you're speaking to that you can on the other side of that get to a place where you feel differently, that it takes investment and it takes work and all of that, but that it is possible even if it's messy. Oh gosh, being human is a mess. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, I mean, completely, yes. So yeah. Staying on the kind of topic of relationships, I'm interested in how your marriage has evolved, changed, grown, you know, as a result of doing this kind of traveling and living in a small space together. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's been, it's been wild. Our relationship is just incredible. I, I have been blessed with an amazing partner. He is the epitome of love and understanding through all my craziness, he has been like the one constant. He just creates space. He holds space so well for me. Yeah. He's wonderful. I love that. Thanks. I've been crying a lot lately. (laughs) Hey, that's totally okay. There is space for that here. Real Talk Radio (laughs) can involve that too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess pivoting topics a little bit, one of the things that I know that you are passionate about is sustainability and incorporating plastic-free and zero-waste principles into your travels. Can you yeah. talk about um, kind of the origin story of that? When did that start to become really important to you? Well, I feel like I've been a lifelong environmentalist. Like even growing up in Trinidad, I went to school for um, environmental science and I started a recycling program in college and, you know, it's always been important to me, but I think the aha moment of like, you know, how dire the issue is, is when we were traveling through Southeast Asia, um, we were, um, on a, on a a little sampan doing a tour of the Mekong river Delta and our boat just kept getting stuck like every few minutes we would have to like pull the propeller up and cut wads of plastic bags free. And I think that's when it just dawned on me, like, oh my gosh, this is a problem. And then just uh, traveling through these countries and seeing um, just piles of 
waste just on on the side of the road, like beaches covered in plastic with straws and just single-use plastics everywhere. And I think that's when Dustin and I realized that, you know, something's got to give and it should start with us. Like, you know, just bringing attention to the issue, sharing our experiences and implementing changes in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. So I'd love to talk about those changes and get into a little bit um, more specific detail. What does it look like in your real everyday life to, you know, like you said, pursue this plastic-free zero waste lifestyle? Well, we we just refuse single-use plastics. We have implemented a lot of alternatives in our van. So we do not purchase anything in single use. I mean, granted, we're not perfect. It hasn't been easy, but it's been an experiment and we've continued to do it every day. Um, traveling through Baja has been really hard. There, a lot of staples are in, you know, wrapped in plastic. So we've just been eating like whole foods that we buy at like roadside stands, farmers markets when we can find one. So we've kind of been doing without some of the things that we we enjoy. We don't put our health at risk if we really need something for our health. We'll, you know, sacrifice and and get it. But, um, yeah, our van, we have no plastic in it except for the ones that sneak in for the most part in our, um, like vitamin bottle tops or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips for what's worked for you for reducing food waste? Yeah, I cook with, um, with food scraps. So like, say, um, like broccoli stems or like the kale stems or something like I cook with those. We pretty much just buy what we need for the most part, like what's enough for two people. Food waste is very important to me. Um, it's a topic that that hits home. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up really poor. So um, there were a lot of times where we didn't have food. So um, I don't like to waste food. Dustin and I, we, we, we don't like to. So we, um, we tend to just buy what we need. We don't go shopping until we've finished cooking everything that's in our fridge. And we, um, yeah, we shop with a list. Yeah, that's been essential in helping us reducing our food waste. Yeah, I think I, I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, that um, you managed to do some kind of composting too, right, in the van? Yeah, we have, we created um, the Irito Aurora Waste Management System, um, which is, you know, trial and error, of course. But we, um, we bought this canvas military sack at a military store. And within that, we have like um, a heavy duty dry bag for our garbage, whatever we'll be sending to the landfill. We have a basmati rice bag that a friend gave us for our food scraps, you know, which we compost whenever we can find a facility on the road. And then we have um, another, um, like a nylon sack for our recycling. So we're able to separate our waste that way. And every two to three months, we'll do like a waste audit to see where we are with our waste and, you know, places that we need to do some more work or like bring attention to. So, um, so yeah, that's how we we're able to manage our food waste and um, our waste in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the the trash and the waste thing is something I've been thinking about a lot too with the van. I mean, my van is really small; it's like twenty square feet of living space, and yeah. so trying to think like, okay, 
how am I even going to have room for trash? What does that look like? What, you know, it's just going to be me just starting to think through some of the things that, I mean, I think it's good to, like you said, do an audit on this type of stuff and, you know, not just blindly order things from Amazon all the time or, you know, other things that I am guilty of. But I think that's like the trash issue. I haven't really seen that talked about a ton, but I feel like that's going to be a tough part of the transition. Yeah. It's like I said, it's trial and error. It was really, really difficult to like, um, to figure it out. Like, we were just trying a bunch of different things and, you know, and, and it's easy to lose hope and say, you know what, fuck it, you know, just, I don't want to think about this anymore. I don't want to even deal with it because it's really, really difficult in the van, but you know, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to figure it out. We were determined to figure it out. Um, and it's unique to every van life, you know, it's the, you know, it depends on the size of your van. It depends on, you know, how you shop, how you eat, you know, things like that. So yeah, it just, it requires a lot of intention and we're still tweaking it. You know, every day we tweak, um, like being down in Baja, it's been a lot different, you know? Um, but yeah, we, we're figuring it out and we just keep working at it and keep bringing attention to the areas where we need to work on. Yeah. Yeah. This idea that, you know, progress over perfection that you're speaking to, it's not like you do everything perfectly all the time, but that also doesn't mean that it's not worth trying. Yeah, it's always worth it, especially when it comes to um, to the the issue of uh, plastic waste and just minimizing your waste in general. Like we've been pursuing zero waste, and um, yeah, and it, it's amazing the the transition from the amount of waste we were producing when we first got on the road. Yeah, and it's helped us save so much money as well. We we save so much more than we used to. Just you know being more conscious of what comes into our van, which is crucial in the end. It's like, okay, how much am I bringing inside? And, you know, what's, what's going out at the end of the day? Yeah. I'm, this might be kind of a a strange or like slightly cynical question, but how do you handle the feeling of, I mean, cause you mentioned, you know, beaches that were covered in plastic and things that you saw this feeling of like, this is such a huge problem. I'm one tiny person. Like I, I think in this issue specifically, it's really easy to feel like what I do doesn't matter. Or like, how do you handle like that type of thought? Yeah. In the beginning, I think, um, when we had that, that epiphany, I was really angry and yeah, I felt really overwhelmed, but then, you know, I think that for the most part, I keep in mind that, you know, the, the, to, that I need to be the change. Like, like if I want to see something, you know, if I want to make a difference, I have to do that in my own life. And I feel like that's helped me not feel as overwhelmed as I did in the beginning. So it's okay. If I want to see less plastic, I'm going to produce less plastic waste. I'm going to say no to straws and say no to single use plastic. I'm going to bring my reusables and I'm going to figure out alternatives that suit my lifestyle. And that's, you know, helped us a lot um, on the journey of uh, going plastic free and zero waste. And I think that that's easier than than looking at the big picture and saying, oh, my gosh, there's so much plastic. I'm never going to make a difference because actually, yes, it makes a difference when each person gives up one piece of plastic. Think about that. If one person gives up one piece of plastic, the difference that that's going to make in the whole. Yeah. 
Yeah. I also think, I mean, something that I'm taking from what you're saying is it's clear that living this way is really in alignment with what you value. And I I mean, I guess like, let's say for example, it didn't make a difference, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, right? Even if we go the really cynical route, like it doesn't mean it's not worth it because you feel better. You're living the way that you want to live. You're living your values. Exactly. And that's, what's important doing your best, living your values. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Be the change that you want to see. If you want to see less plastic, okay, then let's give up a piece of plastic. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, obviously I think some of the things that people think about in terms of not using single waste, it's single use plastic, you know, having, like you said, reusable containers, that type of stuff. Has there been anything else like either little tricks or things that you've learned along the way that have made this transition like more helpful for you that you want to share? Um, hmm. Or anything that you do that might surprise someone like, oh, I use, you know, this in this way, or, you know, maybe that someone hasn't considered. Well, I make my own products (laughs) in the van. Um, It's been uh, difficult to to find uh, a few things on the road, like while we're traveling, like sometimes it's really difficult to find toothpaste that's not in a tube or deodorant that's um, not in those uh, plastic uh, containers. So I just decided to start making our own. And that's what I do now. I make our own toothpaste. I make our own skincare products. I make our own deodorants. And, and that's worked for us. So we don't, we don't buy any of those things anymore. Okay. How do you make your own toothpaste? Tell me more. I make my own toothpaste with uh, baking soda and um, charcoal powder, peppermint, clove powder, really, really simple ingredients, actually, things that I have in my kitchen already. Yeah. And we, I just mix them all together and I make tooth powder with it. Yeah. And it's worked really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm interested. <laughs> I'm totally interested. Um, yeah. When it comes to this topic, you know, sustainability, obviously I know there's a lot of different things we can talk about. Is there something that we haven't gotten to so far that you want to make sure that we mention or any other stories you want to tell on this topic? Um, hmm. Oh gosh, there's so much. <laughs> um, well, about the outdoors, um, you know, practicing leave no trace in the outdoors is really important to me. Um, over the last couple years, I've just seen so many places that we love and care about being just trashed and impacted by individuals not practicing leave no trace. And that's a huge issue right now, considering that all the beautiful places that we love to visit are at risk of being torn apart. And I think that it's really important for individuals to be conscious of their impact in the outdoors Mm -hmm. and and learning leave no trace principles and practicing them. Yeah, I I can put a link to... um you know, the, the leave no trace website, but, um, do you want to share for folks maybe who aren't familiar what one of two of those principles are? Well, one that's really, really important to me is planning and preparing. I feel like, um, a lot of people just, they don't realize how crucial this principle is when it comes to going outside. It, it, it just sets the pace for, for your trip. You know, once you start planning and preparing, say, okay, I want to bring, I want to pack my food, you know, just bring what you need, bring only what you need. I've seen too many times when there are giant containers of mayo just left at a campsite, you know, um, bottles like beer bottles and beer cans and snack packs. It's like, just bring what you need. You don't need a giant bag of tortilla chips for one night. 
you know, and then you just leave half the bag there. You don't need a giant container of mayo. Just, you know, take some out, put in, put in just what you need in a container and bring it out and pack it out with you. Uh, you know, and I think that, um, that that's really important for people to understand. That's one of the most important parts of Leave No Trace that I think can make a big difference. Just planning and preparing before your trip, repackaging meals. And another one is uh, minimizing campfire impacts. I mean, look at what's happened over the last year all over the country with, with fires. It's really important for people to, to learn to um, minimize campfire impacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I, like I said, I'll definitely put that link up. So the last thing that I want to ask you, do you have any advice or anything you want to say to me as someone who is very soon to be living in a van? Um, anything you wish you would have known at the beginning or anything, you know, if you could go back and talk to yourself three years ago, what would you say? Oh, man, so many things. <laughs> I would say um, travel slow. I think that one's really, really huge for us. Like in the beginning, we just went, we went so fast. We wanted to see everything and do everything, but there's so much beauty in traveling slow. You, you are able to, to create a real sense of place when you travel slow and you get to really learn, you know, an area and spend time just enjoying it, learning about, learning about yourself, you know? And I think that that is one of my biggest advice for someone just starting out. Yeah. I love that. Go slow. Uh, Yeah. That's, that's good advice. I appreciate that. So the way that we wrap up these episodes are with a series of community questions. So my Patreon community, the awesome folks who support and fund the show, they pick some questions each season that all eight guests answer the same eight questions. If you are down to answer some totally random questions. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. (laughs) What's sure. one thing that you do purely for fun and joy? Ooh, purely for fun and joy. Dancing, of course. <laughs> I actually uh, had a dance party, at, a little dance party with Dustin at the restaurant this morning when we were having breakfast. They were just playing the best music. Michael Jackson came on and yeah, we just had a dance party. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. So I know we talked about kind of the feeling of home before, but the next question, what's something that really makes you feel at home? Something that really makes me feel at home. Wow. It's a good one. Wow. There's, there's so many things. I guess like a hot cup of tea. <laughs> I can relate to that so much. Yeah. I am a big yeah. tea drinker for sure. That's one of the things I'm like in the van. I'm like, oh no, what am I getting? But I'm like, you can make tea in a van. You're yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Just the smell of it alone just makes me feel so, so cozy and comfy. Yeah. 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 What's one thing that you do uh, in your most important relationships to keep them strong and healthy? Hmm, communicate. Communication. That's key. I communicate how I feel, what I need. And just, um, you know, just being conscious of the other person aware, you know, like in my relationship with Dustin on the road, sometimes he doesn't really realize certain things that he may need, but I may realize it that, okay, he needs permission to do nothing, you know, or, you know, maybe just some alone time, you know? Yeah. 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 What are three things that you're feeling grateful for lately? Ah, gosh, that's, that's great. Um, I feel extremely grateful for 
my partner. I have been really blessed to have a partner that allows me to be free, allows me to be what I need to be when I need to be it, even if it's being grumpy or hangry, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, he just, yeah, he gives me that, that space. So I'm really grateful for that. I am grateful for travel. It's had a huge impact on my life, opening my mind, my heart. Travel has helped me, I guess, cultivate empathy and compassion for myself and for the world that I come in contact with. And I'm also grateful for the van life community. It's, it's an incredible one. <laughs> the people are just wonderful and um, very open and and I love I love this community so I'm I'm very grateful for those three things. Yeah, the van life community that's one of the things I'm most excited about. So I can't wait for yeah. that. Uh, the next question is about boundaries. What's one boundary of yours that's important to you? One boundary, huh? Um, I think. Having um, alone time, you know, and being able to to say that that I need it when I need it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. love that. Yeah. What's one of the most recent things that you felt truly excited about? Ooh, <laughs> um, there are a lot of projects that I'm working on that I'm truly excited about, but I think mostly um, developing of my personal practice, my personal yoga practice has been really, really exciting. I've just been learning so much about my body, my mind, you know, just life in general. I think, I think that's what I'm most excited about, just rediscovering myself. Yeah, and doing yeah. something that's just for you. I love that. Yeah, it's a very, very personal thing. And uh, yeah, I'm the, excited. The next question is about books. Which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself recommending or rereading most often? Ooh, good one. Um, I think um, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. Mm -hmm. It's like a really old book, um, but it kind of launched the environmental movement uh, and brought attention to a lot of the things that um, were impacting the natural world. And I think that that book has had a really big impact on my life. And I encourage people to read it all the time. Also, The Alchemist, I've just read it throughout my life. And um, on the road, I try to read it like once a year or twice a year even. And every time I read it, I feel like there's just something different, a different perspective that I get to see. And I always invite people to read that one, especially if you're embarking on, on a journey of travel on the road. It's, it's a really good one. And um, I love biographies. I love um, hearing people's real stories. So I think um, any biographies written by Walter Isaacson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's just always inspiring to me. I love his biography of Steve Jobs. Yeah, I love that one so much. Yeah, I mean, it's just, his biographies are just incredible. Einstein was really great. Um, the, the individuals he chose to write about, like they're innovators and visionaries and rebels and, you know, people who were just unafraid to buck the status quo. And that's so inspiring to me. So yeah, I always tell everyone, just read any biography by Walter Isaacson. Plus, I love him. He's, he's a, a professor at Tulane University in New Orleans, and that's, that's my city. So, so I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I encourage people to read those. 
So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Hmm. Okay. Let me think. Wow. I'll start with a little story. So in November of 2018, a sperm whale was washed ashore in Indonesia. And in the contents of its stomach, scientists found 13 pounds of plastic trash. I don't know if you heard about this, Nicole. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I think that it's easy for us to become desensitized to, to something when you hear about it over and over. I mean, in 2018, single use was named a word of the year because it was talked about so much. I mean, it was searched so much. Planet or Plastic by National Geographic came out and, and plastic was just a hot topic. And when Dustin and I were traveling through Southeast Asia, we saw firsthand the effects of plastic pollution. And that was like our aha moment. That's when we realized that, you know, we have a fucking problem, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think my call to action is that I challenge each one of our listeners. I challenge you to take a look around your home, your office, and pick one thing, just one, one single use item and find an alternative for it. Get creative, have fun, you know, and, and if you're feeling stumped, DM me, you know, send me a message. I love talking about this stuff and I love finding alternatives. But I think that this is really, really important. And if you're already doing it, then thank you. Yeah. But don't stop at one thing. Just keep the momentum going and, you know, and have fun with it. I I do like the idea, though, of breaking it down into what is one thing that you can replace as a first step, because I I think it's easy to think, oh, my God, I have to overdo my entire, you know, overhaul my entire life overnight, right? Which most often doesn't work for folks, right? So I, I, I love the, you know, the specific nature of your ask. Yeah. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Yeah, I love um, connecting with folks on Instagram at Irito Aurora. That's my handle. Yeah. So send me a message or, you know, connect with me there. I love I love meeting new people and I love I love chatting and sharing topics of interest. Yeah. That's I can't uh, let you go without asking for the meaning behind your Instagram handle name, Irie Aurora. What? Tell me the story of that. Oh, yeah. So, well, as I said before, I'm from Trinidad. So where I come from, Irie, is patois. It's like local slang for um, powerful and, and pleasing. So, you know, like, say, for instance, uh, you're walking down the road and you run into one of your friends and they'll ask, hey, how everything and you say, everything Irie, which means that everything is all right. So that's what Irie means. And Aurora, we were essentially going to, our destination was Alaska to see the Aurora Borealis. But America is just such a beautiful place. We, we get stuck in the in-between, so we haven't made it there yet. Um, but also Aurora means the dawn. So it's like a new beginning for us. I love that. Well, and you'll get there at some point. It'll still be there. <laughs> We're, we're not in a hurry. <laughs> Slow travel to the Northern Lights. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. 
Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net, so go say hi. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Hi there. We're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions if you're ready. I am ready. You're like, I came prepared. <laughs> I did uh, <laughs> I have notes, so we're oh, good. You're so funny. Uh, actually, <laughs> sidebar, this is the first um, like season of outros that I have sent the rapid-fire questions in advance to folks, so <laughs> I'm glad you have notes. I'm glad you took advantage of that. That's hilarious. Um, what are you totally obsessed with right now? I am currently obsessed with Dungeons & Dragons. Nice. Um, I have always wanted to play since I was about 12 years old. I'm now 43. And uh, unfortunately, the guys that I hung out with would not let me play with them because I was a girl. Yeah, so I went, you know, 30 years without it and found a a huge community near my home that meets at at a bar every Sunday afternoon. And they're really welcoming. And so I'm finally learning how to play after all this time. And I can't stop reading about it on the internet so <laughs> everything I can get my hands on I am reading it so doesn't it feel good to have that kind of obsession especially when it's something that's like not necessarily productive like it's just for fun and there's like a <laughs> lot of joy in that there's a, a company called Hero Forge that will actually make custom minifigures for you. And I spent, I don't know, five hours of one day making like 10 different minifigures. I'm like, I've got all these characters. I'm ready to go. Let's do a new campaign. Yeah, I have no idea what any of that means, but it sounds really fun. And my like tiny little gaming experience, I'm playing this phone game called Stardew Valley that I'm like completely obsessed with. It's my real first like, I don't know, first time doing any kind of like games. I know it's like a totally different thing, obviously, than what you're talking about. But even that, being able to like customize my little farmer girl is like really fun. Yes. I like it. <laughs> uh, what's an intentional money-related decision that you've made recently? To be responsible with my tax refund. Uh, making sure it goes you know, right into an emergency savings account, doing some home repairs, just kind of being a grown-up with the money. But I also took the, the day that it was deposited and went out and bought a pair of Birkenstocks that I have wanted for like five years, but always felt like, oh, I don't have the money for that. So I'm going to treat myself and, and then be responsible with the rest of it. Yeah, the boring but good responsible things. My theme for this month has been to stop fucking over my future self, um, mm-hmm. which is sometimes easier said than done. But so much of like what I think of as self-care is different from like, I guess now what I'm thinking of as future care, right? That it's like, what will future me be really grateful that, you know, current me was, you know, sat through the boring mundane thing and like applied for health insurance and did the, you know, the things. So exactly. And in six months when my car breaks down and I have an emergency account to take care of that, as opposed to having spent it all at, you know, I don't know, Starbucks, I will be very happy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love that. What's one thing that you've been struggling with lately? Something that you've found challenging? I am a very guarded person. I don't open up to people very easily. And the last few months I have learned to open up a bit more 
especially to uh, my soul people. We call each other the Yaya's after the Yaya sisterhood. Mm. And, uh, but that has made it a little difficult because now I'm having all these emotions bubbling up to the surface that I am not used to dealing with because I would just squash them behind the walls. And so that's, that's really what's been really challenging for me is spending all these years just pretending I was a practical person without emotions and finding out that, no, you have them all. You're just, you know, not paying attention to them. Yeah. Now let's play catch up on all those feelings. (laughs) That's exactly what is happening. Honestly. I mean, I know this isn't like exactly the same as what you said, but that's a lot of how I felt when I quit drinking, like in the years afterwards, I was like, Oh, I have to deal with the things. Right. Okay. Like I have to learn how to like feel my feelings and Uh it's a whole thing. Um, what's something that you would love to learn more about this year? Actually, myself, I find myself being single for the first time since I was about 16 years old. And so this is a chance for me to learn who I am when I'm not part of a pair. I'm not really sure who that even is. You know, the way I dress has been influenced by somebody else. The food I eat, the places I go, the way I spend a Saturday afternoon has all been part of who I was with at the time. And so now I have a chance to just really explore who I am as a person, what I like, what I don't like, what I'm looking forward to, what my dreams are. That's so well said. And personally, I can relate to that a lot too. And I feel like it's one of, speaking of emotions, it's one of those things that's like exciting and scary and like uncertain and yeah, it's good. Yes. What's one thing that you have recently been wishing that people were more open and honest about? Well, as a 43-year-old woman, the thing that is dominating the conversations of my close friends is perimenopause, which until recently have never seen that word anywhere. And uh, I really just feel like women and men need to know more about what happens because we we talk about girls when they start having their their period and then we talk about women when they're trying to have children and then we talk about menopause and there's this thing that happens in the middle right there that some women end up with so much anxiety they can't leave their house or you you know look in the mirror one day and you're like I don't know who that person is because my skin changed overnight and so I would I really would like to see the broader world talking about what it means to be entering into perimenopause. Yeah, that would be a really good topic for the show, actually. I mean, I clearly, I personally, I don't know anything about it, but I think that would, that's a topic that has been suggested by other folks in the community as well. Mm -hmm. So I will make a note of that because yeah, all of that stuff deserves more airtime, I think. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people listeners can thank for making the podcast possible since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the cost of producing the show, helps to pay the guests each season. In. Can you share why you decided to support the show? I decided to support the show because I was consuming what you put out there and I loved it. And especially because you are giving voice and space to people who don't usually have that opportunity. And I'm hearing new sides of the world and new opinions. And I felt like if I wanted that to continue, then I should put my money behind it. Yeah, I love that. Um, I mean, personally, I'm grateful. And also that perspective of, like, it sounds so simple of pay for the things that we love, right? But this, like, doing this as a creator has really impacted the way that I feel about that, too, that I'm, like, paying attention to, okay, like, what blogs am I reading? What things am I subscribing to? What ways do they have that I can support them financially so that this can continue? Yeah, it, like, sounds really simple, but (laughs) sometimes it's, like, a nice reminder. Um, What do you love most about being in our community? 
without a doubt, it's your emails on Fridays. Um, every single time I open them up, I swear that you are speaking directly to me. <laughs> like, you know exactly what was going on in my life that day or that week, because it seems like the main lessons that you are learning tie into what I'm learning. And then it makes me realize that, oh, we're all just having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not alone. And not only are you going through these things, they're, they're different, but they're similar. But hundreds of other people are also going through the same things, having the same feelings um, and, and learning the same things. Yeah, I've said this before, but sometimes I wish that I could like publish the contents of my inbox just for that very reason to be like, see, like the number of emails that I get of someone saying, I thought it was just me or, you know, like anything in that vein to be like, there's literally email after email that says the same thing, which is very, for me, very comforting, you know, like a reminder <laughs> that, okay, even like you said, if the circumstances are a little different, like so much of what people are experiencing or fearful of or proud of or joyful about or grateful for or struggling with, like it, there's so much commonality there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you want to share where you live and maybe a social media link if people want to say hi? That would be fine. I um, live in Des Moines, Iowa, right smack dab in the middle of the country that is underneath feet of snow right now. And I can be found on Instagram at Polaris Creative Studio. Mm, I love it. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. That support means so much to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Maybe we can even record a future outro together like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. <laughs>